0: Welcome to Halal Money Matters, presented by Citrinic Capital. I'm Christopher Patton. I'm Monim Salam. Ramadan Mubarak, Monim.
1: Ramadan Kareem. It's really exciting month, month for us to be in. So,
0: well, we wanted to talk about a very specific financial part of the Ramadan experience for this episode.
1: We did. Um, you know, at the there is an obligation for Muslims to pay what, what is called Zakat al-Fitr uh, at the end of the, of the month of Ramadan, and so it's not not a topic that you know a lot of people get educated on why it's there, what the obligations are, those type of things. So we have a special guest today to help us kind of navigate through that.
0: Our guest today is Mustafa Umar. He's got a degree in theology and Islamic law, master's in Islamic studies, and currently the president of the California Islamic University. Let's get started.
1: really wanted to do a show on 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 zakat al fitr it is uh you know an obligation um coming at the end of the ramadan so can you tell just give us a little bit of a, a background uh, about zakat al fitr and kind of the origins of it and those type of things
2: sure yeah so um zakat al fitr uh sometimes it's just called like fitra or it's called Sadaqat al fitr it's basically this charity that the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him he he mandated that all muslims who can afford this they need to give it before the day of Eid, or or on the morning of the Eid celebration, and really what Fitr means, the word Fitr itself it means like breaking of the fast. So uh, when you break your fast, it's called Iftar, and Fitr means like Eid. The day of Eid is called Eid al Fitr because you're not going to be fasting that day anymore after fasting for an entire month. So this uh, Zakat al Fitr. It's it's directly connected with the fasting being completed and the fasting is over. So when the fasting is over, what happens is you have this day of celebration called Eid. And the the day of Eid, people are supposed to celebrate. Like it's a day to have fun. It's a day to enjoy. It's a day where people are supposed to wear their finest clothes. They're supposed to go and enjoy and have like good food. So it's a day, it's a, it's a festival. It's a, a day of festivity and celebration. But what happens is there's a lot of people who are poor and they can't even get enough Uh, you know, wealth that they need to celebrate the day, you know, let alone we're not talking about other levels of poverty or, you know, what they're struggling with. On the day of Eid, they would have to either work or they would have to try and find some provision, you know, for their food or something like that. So what what Zakat al-Fitr really is, it gives people who didn't have the opportunity to celebrate and party on the day of Eid, it gives them enough money so that they can actually go and have that party day and that festival day. And they don't have to worry about what they need, particularly for that specific day of eat. That's really what it's about.
0: So it's both very specific and time sensitive then.
2: Yes. Yes, it is. It is specific. It has a specific purpose. Uh, The people, you know, if you just give general charity, right. General charity is just people will need, you know, money for paying their bills. They may need money for just buying food. Uh, this is specific to helping people celebrate on the day of Eid. Now, it could be a little bit more. It could probably last them a few extra days or something afterwards, but it's really about giving them this opportunity to enjoy Eid like everyone else. And like you said, it's time specific. It is supposed to be uh, re- reaching them on the day of Eid so that they can benefit on the day of Eid.
1: Um, we talk about the fitr. What about the zakat? Why is it called zakat al-fitr?
2: Yeah. So the reason why it's called zakat is uh, zakat is like a. Uh, a charity tax that people who have wealth, they have to pay, they're obligated to pay. And what this does basically redistributes wealth from those who have to the people who don't have. Right. So this is a very important, you know, wealth redistribution mechanism that exists. And there's two types of zakah, you know, zakah, the normal zakah is where you pay once a year to approximately, you know, 2.5% on your wealth you're giving to people who are in, in needy categories. Here, this is specifically tied to the day of Eid. So it's called zakah because it's an obligation. Uh, It's called zakah because it's somewhat similar to the other zakah where you have to meet a certain threshold to have to pay this. Otherwise, you're going to be receiving this instead. One hadith, it it, it talks about, you know, the Prophet, peace be upon him, he said that whoever has, I'm summarizing this, said that whoever has um, this amount of wealth, they're supposed to be giving a sa which is kind of like a measure. It's like four uh, double handfuls of, you know, food stuff like of, of dates or barley or raisins or something like that uh, to people who need it. So that's that's one hadith. Then there's another hadith uh, of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, where he said that when you give this charity, it basically compensates for all your deficiencies that you had when you were fasting in Ramadan. So if you were slandering, you were gossiping, you were doing you were doing stuff that you shouldn't have done, this actually helps compensate for the, the mistakes that you made while you were fasting. So from the giver's perspective, not only are they helping somebody who's in need to be able to celebrate the day of Eid, but they're actually compensating and making up for their own mistakes or slips that they had in the month of Ramadan.
1: Yeah, so if you take zakat from a from a perspective of purification, then you're purifying your Ramadan. Yes. Uh, for any mistakes that you could have done, that's that's really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what? How do you calculate it, and where does the dollar amount come from? There's some people who say it's seven dollars in the U.S. Other people, it's it's
2: ten dollars. It's it's about five to seven pounds of some staple food. So if you go to the market now, food prices fluctuate all the time. You know, dates, sometimes you could get, you know, five pounds of dates for like $20. You could get, you know, if you do raisins, you're gonna get like maybe, you know, $10, $15. Maybe it'll go up to $30. If you do barley, you're gonna get a different amount. So the reality is that it's really was a quantity of food and now when we try to figure out, okay, well, what's the amount today? It's going to vary depending on which country, which market, you know, is this food, you know, in uh, high demand or not. So that's why really, the range is usually somewhere between about 10 to $30, uh, you know, that someone's going to pay. It was, it's interesting because, you know, uh, we
1: just did, our last episode was about all about inflation. And right now inflation is really high. I mean, it's, is running around 7% or so, but yeah. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, I, I've been
2: paying $10 for the past 30 years. Yeah, so I mean, what happened was, so the FIC Council of North America, they actually recalculated uh, and they adjusted for inflation this year. And uh, Dr. Muzam Siddiqui, who's the chairman, uh, and the other FIC Council agreed as well. They said, we're going to put it at $12 this year uh, because the food prices have been going up. So they put it up higher. You know, personally, I think it should probably be even a little bit higher than that. You know, I I personally, I usually give $20 or $30 uh, because it just, you know, you could, you could always... Pick like the cheapest food you can be like oh well raisins are a little bit cheaper right now than dates so i'm just gonna pick the cheapest food it's yeah. it's really not that much money you know uh you know most of us are you know kind of middle class so i i would i would recommend for the middle class person if they can to do you know just do a little bit more but th- really the twelve dollars or the previous years you know the ten dollars that's there that was really just just a, a, an average estimate in some places it goes down it goes down a range between like five dollars and like twenty five dollars so they just came up with a balanced estimate along those lines. And there's a lot of difference of opinion. There's some subjectivity involved there, really. So the goal is to be able to give something that would suffice a person so that they could have some benefit on the day of Eid.
1: Say Chris, we have breaking information here because I was just at the mosque last night and they still had $10 as a Zakat al-Fitr. But now we're uh, hearing, and we're going to break this some story on all money matters. It's twelve dollars, <laughs> other than ten dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so we actually months.
2: just made we just made this decision. It was uh, just like two weeks ago. Uh, I have the, I have the text message right here. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Uh, the Fit Council of North America has confirmed the amounts for this year. FIDIA, uh, FIDIA is for uh, basically people who are not able to fast. They're going to feed someone else. So, FIDIA is fifteen dollars, and the al Fitter is twelve dollars. So that's what was decided <laughs> by the Fit Council.
0: So twelve dollars is that. Per person? Per household? Who pays? How does that break out?
2: So yeah, so for, for the Zakat al yes, it's, it's per person. So $12 per person. And what's supposed to happen is the head of the household is supposed to pay for their children. So, uh, you know, myself, I have to pay for both of my children. Uh, I'm not obligated to pay for my wife, but if I do, uh, it's just nice of me. I encourage women to pay on their own only for one reason only is because I think in the Muslim community, in some segments, there's this kind of like financial illiteracy that exists among, uh, among many women, kind of like, it's like a cultural thing. The husband generally takes care of everything. Part of giving the zakah on their own and giving their uh, zakat al-fitr as well. It just gives them a sense of agency. Like, Hey, I'm doing this myself. So I I, I highly encourage that.
1: So just, so just to be clear, then even like, for example, if you have an infant child, you still would um, pay on, on behalf of that child as well. So, you know, yes. And, okay. Yes. On infant that's children something.
2: as well. And, and the, the interesting thing I, f- I find very interesting in the books of Islamic law, they say you're not obligated to pay on behalf of your adult children. And I think that's also very important for our day and age, because uh, what generally happens is that there's a lot of people they've reached the age of maturity, uh, 16, 18, sometimes, you know, 30, they're very financially immature So I think it's very important for for kids, even if they don't have a job, hopefully they do have some job, that they learn to kind of pay their own zakat, their normal zakat, as well as their zakat al-fitr. Because it gives them the sense of like, hey, you know what, it's my responsibility because I now have money, Uh, whether I'm an earner or I have some savings somehow, it's my responsibility to realize that this is a... A, a, a debt on me, basically, I have an obligation to pay this zakat. So I mean, I highly, highly encourage, you know, parents to not just handle this for the kids, because I know a lot of parents, they just do it. And then all of a sudden, like the kid, you know, turns 30. And he's like, and I've I've never paid zakat in my life. I don't know what to do. For me, this is like a basic, a very important like life lesson and principle that should be uh, you know, imparted to every single Muslim young person as well.
1: So, yeah. So let's get into a little bit more about the actual, um, you, you know, whether you're paying foodstuff or monies and that type of thing. So I know in, in the past they used to probably did pay with foodstuffs. But now giving somebody $10 worth of raisins, they're going to like, thank you. But what do I do with it?
2: Exactly. Exactly. So what's really interesting is, you know, I mean, there's four popular schools of Islamic law throughout the Muslim world. There's the Hanafi, Shafi'i, Maliki and Hanbali. And um, what's interesting is three out of four of these schools, they said that you have to give food. You're not able to give money. You, you cannot give currency uh, to the poor. You actually have to give food. And it was only the Hanafi school that says, no, no, you can give whatever is more beneficial to the poor. And in fact, uh, you know, they said it's oftentimes better to give money because what are the poor going to do with, uh, you know, 20 pounds of barley? You know, like imagine someone's walking like to the, to the mosque on Eid day. And they walk by and they're like, someone's like, oh, five pounds of barley. Oh, look, you seem like, you know, you're in need. Here's five pounds of barley. <laughs> and all of a sudden you got like 100 pounds of barley, like stacked up around this person. How is that helping them enjoy the day of eat? So so the
1: traditionally you're saying the three, three out of the four schools said you have to give it in food stuff. But now are there, is there still that, that opinion amongst the other those schools or mm-hmm. have they changed
2: yeah. So what's happening, the majority of scholars in the world today, they're like, that's just not practical at all. I mean, we have to we have to go with the Hanafi school uh, in this regard. This makes a lot more sense. Pretty much most people have changed their opinion. and They're like, well, we can't actually apply the, the hypothetical ruling that we had in the past because it's, it's just not practical at all. And it kind of gives you a, a greater sense into the way that poverty you know, functions today. It's not everyone needs food to celebrate the day of Eid. I mean, if the purpose is to celebrate the day of Eid, sometimes it's clothing that they need. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a transportation. So I think that's is an interesting uh, discussion, especially among scholars that are like, you know, when they look back at this issue, they're like, what could it have been like when people were just limited or restricted, just, just giving food? to a different conception of the needs and how our societies evolved. So I think I find it fascinating. You know? so let's talk a little bit about maybe the, um,
1: you know, the benefits for the giver and the receiver. We talked a little bit about it as, as far as the word zakat, meaning to purify and thinking about it from an economic perspective. Um, you know, what does it do for, um, for, for both the, the giver and the receiver?
2: Yeah. I mean, from economic perspective, uh, it really, for, for the giver, it makes them part of a system that is transferring wealth to people who are in need. And that, that's important because you have to be appreciative. If you are in a capacity and ability where you can have fun and enjoy the day of Eid, right? You, people go out to restaurants, they buy fancy clothes. Uh, they usually buy brand new clothes. Um, some, some people even like uh, they, rent, they rent cars. Like I know in the, in the UK, a lot of my friends, they tell me, they rent like a, a Ferrari or Lamborghini for like, a, for like half a day or something like that on the day. We just to like that's their way of celebrating, you know, especially younger people. So, you know, when, when they're able to celebrate in all these various ways, I think what it really does is it makes them understand that, hey, um, our wealth, the fact that we have this money, one, we have a responsibility towards them. And two, we have to acknowledge that we're privileged. So I think th- this concept of remembering that you have a responsibility over your wealth, number one, and number two, actually like taking the time out to calculate a certain amount and say, I'm going to be giving to someone who's not able to benefit, on like, not able to enjoy the day of eat the way that I'm enjoying on a massive level. It, it just It's a great life reminder that i think all of us need so that's from the perspective of the giver uh, from the perspective of the receiver i think what it also does it, it uh not only does it help them to enjoy the day but you know what happens in society and you look at this on a, on a macro level when you study history a lot of history gets interpreted especially from like a marxist lens or a socialist lens you say a lot of revolutions a lot of wars and stuff they're uh they're kind of class wars And, you know, when people are very wealthy and they have a lot of money, the poor can become envious of them. And one of the benefits is it helps remove that envy. And I think that helps them because they're like, hey, look, all this influx of money is coming in. It's coming from my brothers and sisters in Islam who recognize their responsibility, uh, you know, for, for for supporting the other people who are either going through some temporary difficulty or who just have not had the ability to, you know, be able to celebrate the day of either have that amount of wealth that other people have.
1: You know, the zakat al-fitr is is very specific. It's for that day. It's basically telling people, come and enjoy this with us. Exactly, (laughs)
2: exactly.
0: Given how specific it is, how is the giving generally done? Is it on an individual basis? Is it through a mosque? Are there organizations that field the, the donations so that they're used specifically for that purpose? Or what does that look like?
2: Yes. So there's, there's three ways, you know, there's one is, um, you know, if you live in an area, especially like in Muslim majority countries, what a lot of people will do is, you know, they'll just be walking by, you know, a day or two uh, before Eid uh, or maybe even on the day of Eid when they're, when they're walking to the masjid, you know, mosque for the prayer, they'll find someone who seems like they're in need or they're, or they're asking and they'll go ahead and they'll give them that money right there on the spot. So that's one way. And I think in, you know, metropolitan cities in America, that's uh, a much more rare because you don't just walk down the street and just, you know, find some person, let alone a a Muslim, just like there and just be like, Hey, you know, I'm somebody who's in need. Um, So the second way of giving is basically giving it to a charitable organization that's going to distribute on your behalf. They have a registry of people who usually come for them throughout the year uh, for like normal zakat services and normal zakat distribution. And they reach out to those people and they give them like a gift card or they give them a, they do like a toy drive for the kids by you know buying certain things or whatever it may be. So that's a second way of doing it. And the third way is to give it to your local mosque. And your local mosque will either do the exact same thing that this uh, uh, charitable organization does, or uh, they will actually just pass it off to a charitable organization without taking any overhead or anything like that. So it'll eventually get to the people, you know, that, that need it.
1: Um, you know, in America, I was very used to just basically just dropping it into a box or charging it on my credit card. You know, and when I was living in Malaysia, um, they have a very, very beautiful custom. So what they do is uh, and towards the last 10, 10 days of Ramadan, they'll have a table set up and there'll be a person behind that table. And so you walk up, you sit down and say, I want to give my zakat al-fitr. He'll basically take the money from you, give you a receipt, and then he'll sit there and make a du'a for you. He'll make a prayer for you. I just found that to be so beautiful. It's like, you know, it's, awesome. it's a whole experience.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And that, I mean, that brings me to your your other question is that, you know, is there a preferred way to do it? And I think, you know, the preferred way just on, on a psychological level is that if you do it in a way where you can connect to this act of worship on a deeper level, it's, it's, it's more valuable. So one way would be like, you know, like you said, like this Malaysian system where you sit down and person's making, you know, a prayer for you and you're getting a receipt and you're, you're doing it in a more formal manner than simply just walking by a box and throwing it in and passing by, you know, that's definitely more preferred. And I think the more, the most preferred way would actually be to try to find, seek out someone who's actually in need and who's qualified to receive this, and then you go and you give this to them and you present it to them. I think a lot of Muslims in America, a lot of people in America, they think like there's no poverty, you know, here at all, and uh, there's that's a that's a, a misconception. So. Seeking someone out, you know, this person is definitely in need. It, when you see something, it's the you know, seeing is believing, right? It's like when you see a person who is in need and you can kind of see their situation, it really uh, hits home a lot more. So it's not an easy thing to do. But I think uh, from a from a psychological perspective, that is the preferred way to do it, because that's actually the way that, uh, you know, the companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to do that. And it kind of gives you more of a, a connection with the people and a connection just with the reality of your circumstances. You know, sometimes we live in these concrete jungles and we don't realize Uh, what exists outside of our own little, you know, bourgeois bubble or something like that.
1: The person that's receiving the Zakat al-Fitr, are they only people that are eligible for Zakat al-Mal? Or can you give us an example of somebody who's not eligible for, let's say, Zakat on your wealth? But still would be eligible for zakat zakah.
2: Yes, I mean, there's actually a pretty big difference of opinion among scholars. Uh, but I'll tell you, there are, uh, according to even the lowest opinion, yes, there are people who um, either are going to qualify for zakat, or there are people who are one notch above, which means, for example, there's two ways to calculate it. Let's say someone qualifies for zakat normally. And this is according to the Hanafi school, which is a very prominent school of thought. So somebody would normally qualify for zakah and they would be able to receive zakah. When it comes to zakat al-fitr, there's an interesting threshold that they have. They say you remove the surplus wealth that they have when you're determining whether they're zakah eligible or not. When you're calculating zakah, you you exclude all personal items, right? So if you have three TVs, three sofas, and three computers, Right. You none of that qualifies uh, for your eligibility of whether you need to pay zakat or not, right? You have not met the threshold where you need to pay zakat yet. You look at how much money you have, three ounces of gold, like $6,000 approximately. But when it comes to zakat al-fitr, it's very interesting. Is the, 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 the Hanafi rule, which is an Islamic law rule, is that you exclude things which are not needed under the personal item category. So what you do is you go, oh, well, you know what? You do need a sofa in your house but you don't need three sofas. So we're going to count the other two sofas as having a value and that's going to put you in the category for this whether or not you're going to be receiving. You need you maybe you, you can't even argue that you need a TV. So all three TVs would be included whatever the market value happens to be. So you're going to calculate those personal items which are actually not in the category of need when it comes to zakat al-fitr. When it comes to normal zakat, you Everything, you know, you can have jet skis in your garage, you can have a speedboat, you know, and none of that calc- None of that counts as you becoming zakat eligible, that you need to pay, uh, you know, uh, zakat for that. But when it comes to zakah al-fitr, all of that is considered. So we do look at the personal things that you have, which are superfluous, and you don't really need them. You're going to consider that as part of your wealth when you become obligated to be paying the zakah al-fitr. What's the kind of the consequence of not paying it? Uh, I mean, so the consequence of not paying it is is pretty severe. So when when, uh, something is mandated in Islam and the Prophet, peace be upon him, obligated this, uh, it is uh, considered to be a a major sin because zakah is a pillar of Islam in general. Right. And since zakat al-fitr kind of falls under the category of zakah you're basically violating one of the pillars of Islam. A pillar is is like a column which holds up the structure of your religion. If you're violating one of them, you're breaking one of them, what's happened is means that your your foundation for your entire religion starts to become shaky. So that's one, you know, very severe warning uh, against, you know, not paying zakat al-fitr. This is something you don't take lightly. The sin of uh, neglecting zakat. Is something uh, that no Muslim should even consider because, uh, from our perspective in that in our religion, we are going to be held accountable if we don't fulfill this important pillar of Islam.
1: Is there something about your Ramadan not being accepted if you don't uh, pay uh, prior to the Eid prayer?
2: I don't recall the detailed Hadith on that, but I know that basically it's it's as if your 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 fasting is not complete until you've paid. Okay. Uh, the The Zika, yeah
0: okay, Monim and I've talked in other episodes about now this might not, not be appropriate when you're giving to someone directly or even to mosque, but we've talked about giving donating something like a stock or a security to a charitable organization. and mm. if the organization could handle that, would that be appropriate in this case or is that getting away from the intent?
2: I don't think it's getting away from the intent. It's, it's probably, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm on the board of Uplift Charity. It's, it's a well-known a charitable organization here in Southern California. And what they do is they know that a lot of Muslims, they give their Zagat filter like kind of near the end of the, of the time, uh, like right before Eid. And then they don't have enough time to distribute it to all the people who are in need so that it reaches them for Eid. So what they do, I say, you know, so what's your policy? So they say, our policy is we estimate approximately how much we're going to be distributing anyways to these people and based on previous years. And we earmark that amount that we have from general donations and we distribute it. And then when people give us all this other one, we, uh, you know, there's like actual Zagatul fitter, we offset what we had distributed and we usually come out pretty close. So if that's the way that, you know, charitable distribution is functioning, especially in, in the United States of America here, if we talk about transferring of stocks, and we're trying to get some kind of tax advantage or something like that then i don't see why this would be a problem at all especially when this is the way things are functioning as long as the money is getting to the same person and you know that you know what they're you know muslims are are supposed to be intelligent you know and hopefully they usually are right and you're supposed to take advantage of any tax breaks anyone who's intelligent knows that hey you know you you get a good accountant and you try to get as many tax advantages as you possibly can so muslim charitable organizations should definitely utilize the same thing. I don't see why they shouldn't. I don't think it takes away from the purpose, especially when we look at the distribution mechanism and the way that, you know, it kind of transfers. Many people cannot find their own uh, people to give directly, uh, you know, f- by themselves. So I see no problem with that. And it's probably a smart move to do.
1: But one also thing to keep in mind is that Zakatal Fitter is such a small amount. Like for example, in my family, it would only come out to about 40, $50. That probably giving that amount to a charity the transaction cost for that chair to sell it and do all that kind of stuff is probably going to be more yeah. than the stuff. service. So, so yes, you can do it. Um, but maybe economically speaking, it might not be the best thing to do. Maybe, Chris, for you, I think you have, what, 20 kids? Maybe f- beneficial for you. To At least that. 30. Who knows? 30, 30.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to the zakah, uh, it just in, in general, yeah, that would be definitely a, a great option. I think that there's a lot of people who don't understand what zakat al-fitr is. And it's very mm-hmm. important that you know, everyone in the Muslim community be educated. I see in so many, you know, much they just make an announcement. They're like, oh, Zakat al-Fitr this year is like $12 or $15 or whatever it is. And I noticed that like anyone who's over 40, they understand, right? And then anyone who's like under 20, they just ignore the announcement because they don't even understand what it is. I think this basic core... Uh, education about something as important as Zakat al-Fitr, it sh- it should not be undermined. We should explain what Zakat al-Fitr is so that when people are giving it, they actually feel and understand why they're doing what they're doing, and they don't neglect this important part of our religion.
0: Please consider an investment's objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. To obtain this and other important information about the Amana Funds in a current prospectus or summary prospectus, please visit AmanaFunds.com or call toll-free 1-800-728-8762. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. The Amana Funds are distributed by Saturna Brokerage Services, member FINRA and SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Saturna Capital, the investment advisor to the Amana Funds, Investing involves risk, including the risk that you could lose money. The Amana funds restrict investments to those companies consistent with Islamic and sustainable principles, which limits opportunities and may affect performance. This material is for general information only and is not a research report or commentary on any investment products offered by Saturna Capital. This material should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security in any jurisdiction where such an offer or solicitation would be illegal. We do not provide tax accounting or legal advice to our clients. And all investors are advised to consult with their tax, accounting, or legal advisors regarding any potential investment. Investors should not assume that investments in the securities and or sectors described were or will be profitable. This podcast is prepared based on information Saturna Capital deems reliable. However, Saturna Capital does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information. Investors should consult with a financial advisor prior to making an investment decision. The views and information discussed in this commentary are at a specific point in time, are subject to change, and may not reflect the views of the firm as a whole. All material presented in this publication, unless specifically indicated otherwise, is under copyright to Saturna. No part of this publication may be altered in any way, copied, or distributed without the prior express written permission of Saturna Capital.